0: This is Kyle Worley. I'm joined by my co host Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning, Jen Wilkin with the good hair. That's what we were talking about. JT, first thing he popped on was like, Jen, your hair looks great.
1: Jen looks fabulous today, everybody. I just want you to know.
2: It's an illusion. I'm <laughs> fooling you. Yeah, I was. I literally told the one family member who's home, I'm like, the good news is they can't see like anything but the forward facing version of me. So I'll probably be fine.
0: That was great. It was great. I'm just, as we've, as we've, as both of you have made it very clear on the show, I, I don't have any hair. Yes. So any hair, in my view, is good hair. It's good it's like, hair. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you have have hair. To, yeah. <laughs> wow, you have hair. Yeah. It's a compliment. Wow, you have it. You have it. It <laughs> exists. I, um, I'll tell this joke about misplaced compliments. I don't know that I've told this story before, but my wife's going to not be happy with me for this. But, okay. You have a uh, moment. So you can stop now. now I'm not. Now you're go. in. You're when, in. We were, when Lauren and I were dating, okay, and I, I had never dated, okay, Lauren was the first and the only girl I ever dated. Efficient. And Yes. And so when we were dating, um, I was lactose intolerant but did not know it. <laughs> so I would go, we would go eat food and if I had dairy, I would eat just a few bites and it's and, like start not feeling well and would not ever finish what I was, what I'd started eating. But Lauren, you know, like a normal person who's hungry would go and she would eat she'd eat the food like she like and I'd be like I did not know that I had something that was inhibiting me from eating and I would always be like wow babe like you really ate all the food that's incredible and she'd be like let me tell you something that's not a compliment you give to a woman like while you're dating like this is not something you celebrate I grew up around like a brother I didn't have any sisters growing up so I just I like you know we were always told like hey eat everything and then we were celebrated for eating everything so I just thought that's what you did evidently not a compliment you want to pay, but but good hair that is the compliment. Good hair that I, is good. Okay, well, your hair looks good. I feel um, good about it. Thank you. Well, yeah, well, oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad we've affirmed it sufficiently. Well, we're I'm now gonna you into, to
1: try to transition this. I mean, like,
0: well, w- watch this now. We're gonna get into a passage that has true affirmation in it. Bang. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, hey, don't come at me. I'm a professional. okay? <laughs>
2: You actually are really good um, yeah, that was with good. the transition. Yeah. That one maybe was not a good illustration.
0: Well, let's, you know, uh, let's assume the best. Well, uh, we're going to jump into Romans 8 today. This is a passage. I-, I feel like if somebody knows Romans, Romans 8 is probably the passage that they're familiar with, even if they don't know that like some verse comes from Romans 8 or a passage comes from Romans 8 or a line or a truth. They've heard it, they've been around it, because it is a really glorious chapter and what is a very dense and glorious letter. And so we're going to jump into Romans 8, and I'm going to read a portion of Romans 8. I'm not going to read all of Romans 8, but I am going to read Romans eight twelve through 17. And then we will jump in to exploring this together. Actually, I've been reading a lot recently. Like, I feel like the last few episodes I've been doing, can somebody else read Romans 8, 12 through 17?
2: I'll do it. JT. I'd be happy to. You're up. Oh, Oh, well. That's fine. I'll just agree with excellent hair while we hear your excellent (laughs) reading skills.
1: Well, now I feel like there's some pressure. But I'm going to go anyway because we are heirs with Christ. Thank you.
2: Hairs with Christ.
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> My
2: gosh, that was okay. it. Okay. I don't know how I can pull
1: it together now. <laughs>
0: dang, I can't okay. believe I missed that. All right, well okay.
1: done. Romans thankful. 8, 12 to 17. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him.
0: That's good. That mm-hmm. is good news. Uh, and this chapter is full of good news. I mean, think about Romans 8 1 right out of the gate, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bang. I mean, if there is, you know, I think John Piper has called them battle verses. I've heard other people call them fighter verses, just short verses to memorize for encouragement as we walk with the Lord, this has gotta be one of my top, like short, succinct, hold that away in your heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a day of my life where I do not need to hear, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good?
2: Mm-hmm. It's real good. And I like that it's attached to a therefore because we yeah. get to ask, what's the what is- therefore there for?
0: Well, tell us, Jen. The there what, what, what for. What's oh, something? boy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, We're going to get God some mileage us. out of this yep, one. Yep, we are. Uh, <laughs> so, Jen, why don't you tell us what the therefore is there for? I mean, what's Paul been saying leading up to this chapter? Why is this landing with such clarity and hopefulness at this moment?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that this comes right after the whole conversation of, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I'm still doing, and the mm-hmm. things that I should be doing, I'm not doing, and all of that, um, because... Those are the moments I think in which we, in which the unbeliever heaps up the most condemnation and in which the believer can slip into feeling the most condemnation. You know, we talked about how we probably all agree that those portions are talking to both unbelievers and believers that it can hit you however it needs to. Um, But I believe here Paul is saying to his believing audience, hey, you know what, when you're in Christ, none of the condemnation that you feel in those moments of failure is actually being credited to you because of your position in Christ. So um, it's like in these last mm, two chapters, ever since we made the turn and the good news started to really be trumpeted, it just, it's like, and you think that's good? Well, guess what? This is even better. Mm -hmm. And you think that's Mm -hmm. good? Well, guess what? This is even better. And it feels like when we get to verse one of chapter eight, it's like, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Guess what? There is zero condemnation for you.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite moments uh, in our last podcast with Dr. Schreiner uh, when we were walking through Romans 7 is when he asked this question about the therefore, therefore. He Mm -hmm. says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? How thankful should we be that Paul didn't say, I don't know. Yeah uh, because because then he says, Well, thanks be to God. You know, we are delivered through yeah. Jesus Christ our Lord. And that really is why the therefore or what the therefore is there for is because if we are in Christ, he's the one who delivers us from this body of death, both of ourselves and, and in this world. And so, Kyle, I've been waiting for this episode because I just I just have been wondering how long you're gonna be able to wait to start talking about union, union with Christ. Christ. Well you know it's like, on I the, just, right, the
0: you know, on the run sheet, it's the second bullet point. Literally, quote yeah. in Christ Jesus. Quote. Yeah. I don't even have anything. I don't even have a question around
2: it. I pictured but you. No. I pictured you waking up this morning, and looking in the mirror, and being like, "Come on!" You no, know, I was. I was
0: thrilled. I, honestly, I was super thrilled about it. And you know, obviously, you guys know how I feel about this. And I, I think one thing I've talked a lot about this verse before, and I don't want it to. I don't want to sound like a broken record. There is something as I've been studying Romans eight. We'll be preaching Romans eight in the fall of 2022 at Mosaic. And as I've been studying the. Passage to preach it and and for this episode, uh, one of the things I think has been important for me that I don't think that I've said clearly, this passage is not saying that we no longer, um, let me make two distinctions here. We still existentially in our experience. Kyle, what feel, does
1: existentially mean?
0: I Okay, I just, I, I, I got there before you even said <laughs> it. I knew you were gonna ask it. <laughs> existentially means in our lived life, in our lived experience of the world. We still experience... I mean like a feeling at an affective level, condemnation. Mm. We still feel it. You still feel shame. You still feel condemnation. You can still feel like, oh man, I am wrong Mm -hmm. in the very core of my being. Okay. Now, I think that's important to acknowledge because I think when I've taught this passage and when I've talked about doctrine and when I've talked through Roman 8 before, I think people have gotten the impression of, okay, I'm no longer even going to feel those things. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on existentially, effectively, feelings wise, you're, there are still going to be times where you feel shame, hmm. where you feel condemnation, where you feel wrong, but those things are no longer essentially. Okay. They may be existentially true. They are no longer essentially true. Hmm. They, you may feel them, but they are no longer forensic. Okay. Okay. Uh, meaning they're no longer legal designations of who you are. You may feel condemned, but you are not legally condemned any longer. You may think that, oh man, I feel this at the core of my being, but condemned is no longer who the Christian fundamentally is, even if they feel that way.
2: Yeah, Does that make sense? It does. I'm going to qualify it just a little bit because in recent years, um, shame has become seen as a harmful thing Mm -hmm. in our lives uh, entirely. And so I think it is important to say, so we should not feel condemnation because of our status through Christ, but it is actually healthy to feel shame in response to sin. Now, Mm. shame is a negative emotion. It's like anger, right? Anger is not sinful until it becomes sinful. Anger becomes sinful when we dwell on it right, when we nurture it. In the same way, shame is an actually a natural and right response to having done the wrong thing. But when we dwell on it and when we nurture it, that's when it becomes condemnation. And so I don't want Christians to hear, when you sin, you should not feel shame because shame is of the devil. (laughs) Shame is a mechanism for your protection. It's warning you um, toward repentance, which is a good Hmm. thing for the believer and the unbeliever, frankly. Mm Um, So, but you are not, you do not stand condemned. You should experience it. It should point you toward repentance and then it should pass from you. It should not stay with you.
0: Now, Jen, I'd be curious. Um, I'll often distinguish between, and maybe we're saying the same thing. I'll often distinguish between guilt and shame. And I'll say guilt is something that is a that you should feel. That's a part of conviction. We mm-hmm. are to feel guilty when we sin. Mm-hmm. Shame is identifying with that guilt and proclaiming that as who we fundamentally fund, fundamentally are. Which is in Christ, we are no longer shamed, though we
2: can experience guilt. Would you distinguish? Is that? Are I we, think. I mean, it's probably just a hermeneutical thing. Hermeneutical. That's not the word. S- I'm semantic. At, semantic. <laughs> a, a semantic nuance. And I think in the church, we make a clear designation between shame Mm -hmm. and guilt. People who are paying attention to the conversation. But I think that generally speaking, people don't distinguish between guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'm saying is, let's, let me say it more generally for those who do have a distinction there, that icky feeling you get of, oh, I did something wrong. That's actually for your good Mm -hmm. in in its its immediate occurrence. So whatever you want to label it. uh, let's call it conviction, just for a catch-all term. Um, conviction is good. and is good. Uh, But you should not live in a perpetual state of um, anguish over what you have failed in because um, repentance and restoration occur repeatedly in the life of the believer.
0: Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life study Bibles for women and the Courage for Life study Bibles for men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible.
1: This conversation is reminded me a little bit of our conversation in Romans chapter 2, where Paul is adge- addressing Gentile Christians and then Jewish Christians. And, and for Gentile Christians, they, they experience this conviction through the raw the law written on their hearts, whether that's conscience or natural law. And, and Paul even says, your consciences accuse you or excuse you. And then for, for the Jewish believers, it's the law that does the same thing. And the purpose of this is to bring about this conviction of sin, which delivers us to this need of repentance and salvation, mm-hmm. ultimately, which is what we find here. Thanks be to God. Jesus has done this for us. Yeah. Because yeah. if you didn't feel, maybe think of it this way, if you didn't feel conviction, shame, guilt, whatever semantic language you want to use, you would have no need yeah. for deliverance. Yeah. You would yeah. have yeah. no need to, say, to ask this question, who can deliver me?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one thing is that when we read this passage, uh, you know, Paul is voicing this argument in the negative, but he's already given us the truth of it in a positive way. He's saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, the positive way of stating that would be there is therefore justification for those who are in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. right? There is righteousness for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's already, he's already supercharged that in Romans chapter five, and he's kind of answered objections to it in Romans six and seven. And so as he comes back here in Romans eight, that's kind of a, he's not buttoning up, but he's certainly putting a bow on the argument. And I think that he's stating it here in this way for emphasis, uh, this idea of there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what he's saying is there is justification for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is important because I feel like oftentimes justification is talked about outside of the relational context Mm -hmm. for which it makes sense. The union with Christ, there is no justifying benefit outside of Christ Jesus. We only receive the declaration that we are righteous. We only receive justification as one of the saving benefits of God. And all of those saving benefits are only in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You can't get justification outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, And it's, it's, it's had New Testament theologians and systematic theologians ask the question, what comes first, justification or union with Christ? Uh, It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation, but I think it's fundamental that we say uh, we must receive an alien righteousness. This is Calvin. We can't get it anywhere but Jesus, and the only place to get it is in Jesus. That's it. Mm -hmm. So for whatever you want to say about what comes first, the chicken or the egg, justification or union with Christ, I— I, I can stomach nothing that says that we can get justification. We have to have justification before we can be united to Jesus, because there is no declaration of righteousness apart from being in the righteous one. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get at here.
1: So, I want to make a little plug here, Kyle. I listened to your podcast this morning that you did on Union with Christ in preparation for this. That you just it just came out today with Journey Women podcast. Yeah, yep. which if you guys aren't familiar with that podcast, it's a it's a great podcast. Hunter does a great job. The three of us know Hunter a little bit, and just kind of one of those sister podcasts not in terms of affiliation but just common voice and Mm -hmm. desire to see the church equipped and you did a great job there but but kyle i think it took me a while hearing even you teach union with christ in the training program when we were all at the village to like really grasp this because it it just it it was a foreign concept to me because justification for me was such a clear concept if you were going to simplify union with christ to a very like teach teach it to a teach it to thomas my Mm six-year-old what does union with christ mean I would say, uh,
0: wow, that's good. Uh, I would say, Thomas, uh, do you know how you live at home with your mom and dad? Like you guys have a house. Tell me what you lo- – I'd get Thomas to tell me what he loves about his house. Like I'd talk to me about, tell me what you love about your home.
1: And he probably. I love dad. I love dad. I love mom. I love dad. I love mom.
0: <laughs> I love dad, I love mom. Uh, you know, I would, talk to, I would ask Thomas about like, uh, does he eat at home? Does he get to have fun at home? Mm-hmm. Does he feel safe at home? Mm-hmm. I would, I would try to get him to start thinking through, I'm really talking about this like I would talk about it with a kid. I hope yeah. that's helpful. But yeah, that's I, I would start working through the, Ill, like just him working through what he loves about being home. I would want to emphasize safety, security, uh, fellowship, joy. fun, joy, peace, order, uh, provision, all of those things. And then I would say union with Christ means that God invites us to live in his home. And his home is, is Jesus. Mm. That's how we make our home with God. We enter into home with God in Jesus. You can think about the spirit of God is the invitation to come into the home. Mm. The home is the son of God, Jesus Christ. And it is full of all the good things that the father has for his family and his children.
1: All of them. I, I like that all example. Of- and you could even say, I don't want to, I don't want to stretch the example too far, but even Thomas, even when you leave your home and you're experiencing insecurity or a lack of safety or a feeling of shame, guilt, convict, whatever it might be. Even when you're outside the home, you're still in the home in the sense yeah. of status. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because like the the great news about being in Christ Jesus, something that was different from the tabernacle, if you're thinking about this biblic- like from a biblical theology here, something that was different from the Garden of Eden, something that was different from the tabernacle, something that was different from the temple even, is that now we are indwelt by the very presence of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and we dwell and are in the son of God, Jesus Christ, the the person of God with whom we have a co-inheritance because that is how the father has chosen to adopt people into his home, into his family. So we're gonna talk about the language of divine adoption and divine adoption is a playing out, I think, relationally of the concept of union with Christ. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, what way does union with Christ actually flesh out? Well, now you live as a child of God, why? Because you are in the son of God, Jesus Christ. You have a filial relationship You have a child relationship to the father by virtue of the ontological relationship the son has with the father. What he possesses by right, he gives to us by grace. What he has by nature, he gives to us by adoption. That is the saving benefit of union with Christ. Everything that the son has by nature and by right, by divine primate, by divine fiat, by his very nature and character, he gives over to us in grace. So that's maybe mm-hmm. how I would talk about it.
1: Would Would you say I don't? I don't mean to do like the chicken or the egg conversation of like which comes first, union or justification. But you would you would view all Christian salvific benefits that have been accomplished by Christ and given to us by the Spirit. Whether we're talking about justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, all of those things are fundamentally true because of our placement in Him. Yes, because, because of our location.
0: If I ask it another way and say, um, how How am I declared righteous? And you said, well, you're declared righteous on the, on the basis of what Christ has done. And I said, okay, but is that like somewhere over there? Why, why do I get that standing? Well, because so, no, because him. you're in him. It's not because that, or if we, I think the opposite runs into Catholic conceptions of righteousness, which is like, there's this treasury that exists right. of merit somewhere. And then God just kind of allocates portions of that to you, You're standing. It's like, no, 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 no. Because you're in Christ Jesus, you are now righteous because you're in the righteous one. And I think that's very, very significant. You know, uh, Lane Tipton, who's out at Westminster, uh, he has said that justification should be seen as the forensic foundation to a to our union with Christ. I, I, I think that's one way of saying it. I, I like to think of it more as uh, the analogy I used to use in the training program. This is kind of I know it's kind of antiquated, but like, have you ever been to like a formal event where people are announced as
1: they enter? Every Sunday at my church. <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. You know, like, you know, uh, uh, it's like where, where people enter the room. I mean, we've all seen it at the wedding. Let's at wedding res- to rumble. <laughs> <laughs> you've, all, you've all seen it at a wedding reception, even if not everybody was announced. You see, like, you know, maybe they, maybe they announce the bridal party or at the very least they'll announce the bride and the groom, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're entering into the room and they're announcing, hey, it's, you know, my joy to present to you, Mr. and Mrs., whoever. Well, if we think about... Uh, union with Christ being the home of all the saving benefits of God. When we enter into it, it's as if the son stands at the front door and he announces us to the room, to the, to the father uh, who's, who, whose home it is and to the watching world of the family of God. And it's as if the son says, it, it's my joy to present to you this Jen Wilkin, righteous, JT English, righteous. It's like they are, yes, you're entering into Christ Jesus. You're entering into the Father's family. And the first pronouncement over you as you enter into that is mm-hmm. righteous one. That is. So it's, it, it is... it is. Uh, I, I, I think when sometimes, sometimes we talk about doctrine of salvation studies, JT, you know, we talk about ordo salutis. We talk about logical priority versus chronological priority. Mm-hmm. So we'll say something may has to happen logically before something else, but chronologically it plays itself out in like a simultaneous fashion. Mm-hmm. I would say that in my mind, union with Christ has logical priority over every saving benefit of God. Mm meaning it happens first. Yeah. I think we get this in Ephesians 1. What does Paul say? Even as he chose us, who, where? In him before the foundation of the world. So even election is conceived of as something that's happening inside of Christ Jesus, chosen in him.
1: There's a, a lot of things that are going through my mind as you're, as you're teaching us about this, Kyle, um, I mean, gosh, I'm thinking about Trinitarianism because I can't help do that. But I'm I'm also thinking about biblical theology here. And specifically, as I was pre- doing a little preparation for this, just reminded of, of uh, the story of Scripture playing out covenantally about how— like, what, I think what I want people to hear is what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 8, well, anywhere, ultimately, but specifically here in Romans chapter 8, is he's not conceiving of something new. Like, in Absolutely. his mind, union with Christ is not something that is— uh, unique or kind of a unicorn in God's redemptive history. This was a promise that was given to us that the Mosaic covenant was not union with God, but the new covenant that is promised in, in for example Jeremiah chapter thirty-one that Christ says He's initiating at His, uh, at the Lord's Supper and ultimately in His death. That, like that is the imaginative framework that Paul was thinking about. So, mm-hmm. Like I wanted to read a little bit of of Jeremiah chapter thirty-one for us, just a, a couple verses. Um. This is Jeremiah prophesying to God's people, Israel. And he says, I won't read all of it, in verse 33, for this is this new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. Mm -hmm. You think about what we just read about in Romans chapter seven. Mm -hmm. What is the law supposed to do and how is it functioning and how do I break it? And ultimately, what is the law supposed to, how does it function in the life of the Christian? Well, I'm gonna put it in their hearts. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is some of the closest identification that we get with the God of Israel, with Israel or ultimately with God's people in all of redemptive history in terms of God saying, not only am I requiring this of you, that you be law keepers, I'm gonna be the one who keeps the law on your behalf in Christ. And I'm gonna be the one who gives you the law keeper, the Holy Spirit, and write it on your heart. So you no longer have these tablets outside of you that are primarily meant for your obedience, but rather those tablets are going to be internalized in you through the work of salvation.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I think we see it in um, the Exodus story where Mm -hmm. the people are brought out of Egypt, but then the next step is to get Egypt out of the people. And that's the way that we are. We, we are saved, we're justified. And then the sanctification process is that we no longer, we set aside the patterns that we still have active in us as those who were brought out of Egypt. And, and I think that's exactly what he's getting at in Romans eight. And just to remind our listeners, you know, we didn't read the whole passage out loud at the beginning. We're assuming that you are reading the passage mm-hmm. before you sit and listen to the podcast. But he, in the first uh, eight verses, he he goes back into the idea of what the law can and cannot do mm-hmm. uh, specifically in our justification. I mean, he's talking about how, you know, the law is not going to save you. The law is what shows that you need to be justified. Um, and then he gets into verse nine and here's where I think we need Trinitarian help JT. Um, as we talk about union with Christ because spirit and spirit of Christ and Christ in us and spirit Mm. in us all start to get sort of used interchangeably. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is where union with Christ gets um, so significant to me, once you move past the justification piece to the sanctification piece, it's not just that we're in Christ, mm. it's that Christ is in us. And Christ right. in us, the hope of glory means that because he's both uh, surrounding us and within us, first of all, okay. what a picture of safety and security for the believer, but also yeah. he's He's working, um, working from the inside out. He's not simply surrounding us from the outside. Um, and so verse nine, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So you're in the spirit and the spirit dwells in you, both of the ideas there. Uh, And then it says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Um, Mm. And so how do we reconcile JT, the way that spirit of Christ and spirit and Christ are being used here from a Trinitarian standpoint?
1: There's so much I want to say here. I just can't. I'm going to simplify it. <laughs> this most is like theologians, Kyle and JT
2: yeah. go head to head, is what this episode is.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully, we're in agreement on this. Yeah, yeah uh, But so. we're both getting to talk about <laughs> stuff that we love. That's for sure. I mean, most theologians, because the two, the two primary instincts of Trinitarianism. Our unity and diversity. Yeah. We believe in one God and three distinct persons. And so, what we never want to do is overemphasize one of those things, but fully emphasize both of those things. And so, in my opinion, and in most of the theologians that I that I follow, the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. That's where we see the unity of this one essence of the Godhead—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—ultimately coming coming to, to play. Where it's so like I think of Ephesians chapter two, verse six, which says. Uh, Paul is doing something very similar in, in this chapter in Ephesians. And I know we're not supposed to talk about Ephesians, Jen. That's the off-limit book, but it's still <laughs> inspired by God. Uh, he's, and this is this is fascinating. He says, he has raised us up with him. Think about that. He, in, Paul is saying your, your union with Christ is so secure that your resurrection is if it's already almost future. He's uh-huh. raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places, which means that right now location, like think about you might be driving in the car right now, maybe sitting at church, maybe washing dishes. You might be, you know, trying to take, take the dog on a walk, something like that. That's where you are, but your union with Christ is so secure that you're also already seated in the heavenly places. Why? Because the spirit of Christ that is the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so his spirit is being dispensed into you, into your life. Like you are the dwelling place of God, Paul tells us, the holy temple where the Holy Spirit has now taken up residence. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter two, verse six, so he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the way that we are in him, and this is what Paul's doing all through Romans chapter eight, is he's showing us that the cross, is primarily what delivers us, like that's the agent of salvation or the grounds of salvation. But the Holy Spirit is the one that makes union with Christ even possible. So mm-hmm. Jesus is the one who accomplishes it and the spirit of Christ given to us is now this life that we live in salvation, which means that Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse six, you've already been resurrected with him.
2: Yeah. Hmm. But how do we understand the spirit of Christ also being spirit of the Father?
1: Oh man is there language that says spirit of the father? Oh, Abba father. Like, is that what you're uh, talking about? Well, here? I
2: mean, we talk about God being uh spirit. So, I mean, you would assume that that's applying mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in some sense, when we say God is spirit, we're making a different claim than we're saying God is Holy Spirit. Okay.
2: Yeah. This is what I'm getting at.
1: Isn't, isn't that what you would say, Kyle?
2: Absolutely. Like, Cause we're
0: talking about the, Im- we're talking about the immateriality of God. He right. has no, when we say that God is spirit, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking not about the Holy Spirit. We're really talking about the fact that God, this is going to, this is, we're about to get into some heady waters, but Jen took us there and that to be noted for the record. <laughs> but we're talking about the fact that God is immaterial. He doesn't have extension in time and space, meaning like God, the triune God, well, you know, we want to be clear. The son of God has a resurrected body that is with him forever, but the Godhead itself does not have a body there's not a body right. for the Godhead. There's no extension in time and space. Well, they're the son has limited. one now. The sun has one, right. I gave that caveat, but I'm just saying that when we think about the father and the spirit, they uh, they do not have, they're not closed in, in a way. So that's, that's what right. we mean.
2: That's good. That's a good as distinction. As distinguished from
0: the Holy Spirit, who's the third person of the Godhead.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let me ask you another question related to this section, because it does sound, especially like as we get into, and it sounded this way in other places in Romans too, Romans also, you gotta be careful the way you say that, um, that, that spirit and flesh are pitted against each other in the conversation. Um, which is a hallmark of Gnosticism. So, you know, that spirit good, flesh bad. So how is what Paul is saying here different than that when he's talking about we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in the spirit flesh, spirit flesh. How is Paul's argument not an argument that flesh is bad and spiritual things are good.
0: You're talking about, it in uh, particularly five through eight, right here.
2: I mean, also twelve through eighteen. I think, and it's, 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 he's built this whole comparison all the way through up until this point. Um, he's had the comparisons of dead and alive, slave and free, and flesh and spirit.
0: Yeah, Paul is not talking here about flesh in terms of our material existence. He's talking about a kind of conception of the flesh to be understood as the as like the sin nature yeah. or the the brokenness of the world. Yeah. So he's not don't think about this as Paul is pitting physical against spiritual. Right. That's not what he's doing. Paul is contrasting the old life with the new life. Mm-hmm. And he's saying the old life which you possess by nature meaning uh, the uh, the unrighteous life. Mm-hmm. You, in if you stay there, if you're there, you cannot please God. And by please God here, we know in the context of Romans, he's talking about rendering unto God meritorious obedience that would justify someone. Mm-hmm. You can, you can't do that. You cannot uh, uh, accord yourself with the righteousness of God in the flesh. You're going to need an alien righteousness and you're going to need a by alien righteousness i don't mean extraterrestrial righteousness i mean you're going to need a foreign righteousness a righteousness that you cannot get on your own that you cannot muster from your own reserves and you're going to need the power of god to intervene well that is, is jesus
2: a, a extraterrestrial cuz then
0: we <laughs> we should not uh, we should not open that
1: discovery door this- <laughs> this time, Kyle. Do you think? I mean, I think the primary meaning here, Jen, is it's he's talking about on unto- uh, He's talking about being. Yeah. Are you in the flesh or are you in the spirit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder here. I haven't done enough enough reading here. But I would think that Paul is he doing any kind of double entendre or double meaning with this conversation around circumcision for Jewish believers?
2: Hmm. Oh, I, I think don't know. I think probably like it's almost like
1: a play on words. You know, I think the primary thing is me is is being. Who are you? Yeah. in the flesh or in the spirit. But yeah. so much of this conversation so far has been around circumcision and the flesh.
2: I feel like circumcision yeah. is lurking behind a lot of this. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, because even the the references to baptism that he's already made, it's like he's very aware of of that the people who are the proponents of circumcision are also the proponents of the law. And so it all kind of works together for in his imagery, I think, personally. I think too, yeah. But I think what what I'm hearing you say is that the... The question is one of the locus of our desires, like Mm. our desires inhabited, are they inhabiting the old man or the new man? Are they they characterized by the life of the old man or the life of the new man in Christ?
0: Yeah, well, certainly the life of the new man in Christ is the foundation of our ability to obey Christ, to worship Christ, to all of those things. And it's grounded Mm -hmm. in the righteousness of God that we receive in Jesus. And in verse nine through 11, Paul does something here that may, based off of everything we've said about union with Christ, may seem, but Jen's already kind of got us going in that direction. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, okay, hold on. So is the doctrine of union with Christ that we are in Christ or that he is in us? Well, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, In what way are we in Christ? By a dynamic, vital, mystical union. In what way is Christ in us? By the presence of the Holy Spirit who is manifesting the presence of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So does the son of God, Jesus Christ dwell physically in me? Well, the answer is no. No. So then what way is Christ in me? Isn't he at the right hand of the Father? Well, he's in me by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Right. right. I mean, that, that's because I feel like this is confusing for folks when they hear this. They're like, what way is Christ in me? Mm-hmm. Well, he's in you by virtue of the very same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. hmm who exists in unbroken, eternal fellowship with the Son of God and God the Father forever past and forever future. Mm -hmm. That Spirit of God is given to you and indwells you. I think this is exactly what Paul wants us to see. Christ is in us because the Holy Spirit is in us.
2: Well, and and he's told us that we've been raised to walk in newness of life, right? He's already Mm -hmm. said that. And I, I think that the way we can hear that is we have been raised to continue to be raised. Like we've been raised positionally and now we're going to be raised practically. So the spirit that raised him from the dead means that you're raised positionally. And the spirit that raised him from the dead lives inside of you so that you now will be resurrected practically in every aspect of your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. This reminds me of his question. Paul asks a question around this topic to the Galatians when he says, have you begun by the spirit and are you now being perfected by the flesh?
2: That's so good. Mm-hmm. And that, yep. And, and yep. So
1: again, this is a theme, a theological theme for Paul. And so we really are the people who want to live a spirit-indwelt, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life because it is mm-hmm. the spirit of Christ who has given us positional authority with him as heirs and sons of God, but is also now empowering us for life and godliness through the very spirit that already raised Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's good.
0: Now I wanna skip ahead here for the sake of time. We do, just for listeners, we have two more episodes uh, in Romans eight. So don't worry, We're not. this isn't all that we're doing. Uh, we have Dr. Williams on, Jarvis Williams on the next episode, fantastic episode, and then we'll do another episode to kind of finish out Romans and look back on Romans eight in particular but for the sake of time in our conversation today, I, I want us to end by talking about the doctrine of adoption. We hear mm-hmm. it in verse 15 and following. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we see this contrast between two spirits. We see the spirit of slavery, uh, to fall back into fear. And we see that contrasted with the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba father. So Paul is now doing another contrast, not just between flesh and spirit, but between two different spirits, so to speak, a spirit of fear and a spirit of, uh, excuse me, a spirit of slavery and a spirit of adoption. Sometimes the reformed fathers would call this uh, the tension between the spirit of slavery and a spirit of sonship. Hmm. Right. Um, which I love that. I just love that phrasing of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not mine, but it belongs to them. But that spirit of sonship. And I think it's it's crucial because like I said earlier, adoption is really one of the principal relational ways when people are like, okay, how does the doctrine of union with Christ basically play itself out. I've often said, well, I think the doctrine of adoption, divine adoption is one of the fundamental ways that that relationship of union with Christ is then played out in the story of scripture. We see it even here in this passage, Paul moves from union with Christ to talking about adoption. It's a very natural movement to make. If we've been brought into Christ, then we're now a child of God. And that's a profound reality that I think is grossly underemphasized in the Christian life, Mm -hmm. that we are not just forgiven, But we are welcomed. That's it's very, it's one thing. Oftentimes we think about God's grace as a grace that forgives. That is absolutely gloriously true, and we need it to be. That's usually the one note we play because we overemphasize justification. But God's grace isn't just the grace that forgives, it's the grace that fellowships, Mm -hmm. it's the grace that makes us into a family.
1: That's right. Let's think about family for a second there, because again, just to remind our listeners, this is a massive conversation between Jewish and Gentile believers. And these Mm -hmm. Jewish believers who are, who maybe are operating in the flesh along with their Gentile brothers and sisters, the thing that they think they are inheriting according to biblical theology is land. Yeah. (laughs) Like that, that yep. They think that their inheritance is this place where we're living and that God is going to come and, you know, redeem all things and restore. Uh, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel is the, is the question the disciples are asking. But what we see here is the gospel is far more beautiful than that, is that their heirship, their inheritance, like God's original son is Israel. Israel is the son of God, according to the Old Testament scriptures. And they believe that their inheritance as heirs is going to be this plot of land. And and now what what Paul is saying is that God has a far greater inheritance for you, and it's actually God Himself. We are not just inheritors of God's promises; we're we're heirs of God Himself, is what the text says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How much more glorious is that promise than inheriting simply a plot of land in Israel? And so they're they're hearing this and thinking to themselves. Oh my goodness, this Abrahamic, Mosaic and Davidic. And now the new covenant of which Paul is highlighting here in Romans chapter eight is actually far greater. We're now not in Israel, we're in Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: ultimately what, what the, the joy of union with Christ is. We don't just get God's promises, we get God. Yeah, that's
2: good. Man, yeah, I'm realizing good. all of the significance of we're baptized. Mm-hmm. We, pass, we pass through the waters into the land of promise and the land is Christ himself.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right, with, as a family.
2: As a family mm-hmm.
1: yeah give given new names, new identities in him it's mm. good. I uh, listen Romans eight, we could spend time
0: fails, honestly, to fully uncover this, and we'll spend the next two episodes continuing to dig in to Romans chapter 8. I hope this whets your appetite. Next episode we have Dr. Jarvis Williams on of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary talking about the Spirit of God, our waiting, and our suffering. We hope you'll make time to listen to that episode. If you missed last week's episode with Dr. Tom Schreiner on Romans 7, I strongly encourage you, not because we said something magnificent on there, but because He is who you want to listen to on Romans and in Romans 7 in particular. But I would strongly encourage you to go check that out. But I do want to pause and just draw attention to our sponsor. If you think now might be the time to pursue more theological training, log on to sbts.edu slash explore. This online diagnostic tool considers the theological training you have now, factors in what more you want to accomplish, and explores the Southern Seminary degrees that will prepare you to do even more. Whether you're exploring the idea of theological training or you feel called to full time ministry, you can get personalized guidance at sbts.edu/slash explore. If you're looking to find us online, you can find us at Knowing Faith Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. If you're looking for behind the scenes stuff or you want some added extras, you can go to patreon.com/slash Knowing Faith Podcast and find some cool stuff over there. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.